Got to get a job, 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 got to get a proper job, got to get a 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 proper job, got to get a 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 job, got to got to get a proper job. I've got one! Hey, how are you? Thanks for coming. I'm Ollie Double. I'm a lecturer at the University of Kent, and this is the Proper Job Gradcast, in which we explore how a degree in drama could lead to all kinds of interesting careers in the arts. This will be interesting to you if you're thinking of studying drama at Kent, or you're currently studying drama at Kent and thinking about what you might do afterwards, or, you know, you're just interested in things. In every episode, I interview a Kent drama graduate working in the arts, and this time I'm talking to George Waitman, who is a jobbing actor. That's definitely something that a lot of our current students would like to be once they graduate. And he talks very interestingly, uh, and at some length as well, about what that job's like and about how he survived uh, getting through lockdown as an actor, which is apparently very well indeed. He tells it very amusingly. I know you're going to enjoy this. So without further ado, here's George. Uh, I am, I said, ah, uh, there, which seems like I'm hesitating, like I'm not sure. I'm really convinced. Uh, I am George Waitman. I graduated in 2010, and I'm an actor and voice artist, amongst other things. Uh, now, actually, a voice tutor as well, part-time. So, yeah, I think that's a fairly good summation of who I am. I write as well, and um, and then uh, when I'm not, you know, sort of basking in the, the sort of showbiz spotlight, I still have uh, occasionally, well, I say still, um... I do events work every so often. I used to, because events aren't really happening at the moment, given we're recording in Lockdown 3, The Revenge of Lockdown. So um, that's a, a rather large definition of who I, who I am, I guess. Well, no, that's really good. And in fact, you've, you've started to incorporate an answer to my ne- what was going to be the, my next question, which is what's your current job and what kind of things does it entail? So you've started talking about that. Yeah. Can I double-click on some of those things? Of course you can. Yeah, please do. Because one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you is because you're, you are living the dream. I mean, you are doing some... <laughs> I mean, you are doing something that a lot of our students would like to end up doing, which is that you're a jobbing actor. And um, so could you just tell us about what your life would look like week by week um, in lockdown and indeed when lockdown's not happening? Okay, yeah, of course. So um, the really unhelpful first answer is every week is different in that regard. But that's kind of why I love it. The principal thing I'm doing in lockdown is voiceover. And I'm coming to you from my little studio, which is a sort of glorified box cupboard in this house I moved into in lockdown. And I've just, you know, bit by bit converted it. At the very beginning of lockdown, I thought, mm, OK, maybe now's the time to invest in some equipment. And so I, I spent more money than I really had but um, uh, on this on this microphone set up and um, interve- all this sort of stuff. I didn't have a clue how it worked, but fortunately I've got a tame uh, sound wizard as my as one of my best friends. Uh, he's my uh, my cue to uh, my rather vocal James Bond, um, and so he's literally. I, I was doing an audio book this week, and I was just ringing him up and just going, "Richard, I can't make it work. Please, how does it work?" He's like, "You press that button twice." I'm like, "Of course, I knew that." So yeah, so week by week, it 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 depends whether you're looking for work or whether you've got work. So for me, I'm in the very fortunate position now where I have a voice agent a voice agent or rather i have voice agents under one agency um and they very controversially for for in my experience for uh, acting agents i've had four regular acting agents i'm on my fourth at the moment they the, the voice agents uh 
look for work, they get me to audition for work, and then they book me work, which it seems simple, but it wasn't always for the first few years of uh, coming out of uni, just because it's a huge com- competitive field. So if I'm, aud- if I'm auditioning for work during lockdown, or rather if I'm looking for work during lockdown, if I'm lucky enough to get stuff sent through from my voice agent or from contacts that I've made over the years, um, <laughs> the many years since leaving Kent, then um, I'll, ad- I'll audition for stuff for them, which involves hopping into the studio and you know, doing silly voices in a windowless room, which kind of is living the dream in some ways, especially for me. I, I you know, I'm sure you remember the um, some of the stuff at, at uni was just all all voice based. You know, angry Scotsman and stuff. I do. Uh, I remember it well, George. I just I should just chip in and say that um, if if there's no laughter, that when you're saying something funny, if I'm not laughing, I am actually laughing, but I'm suppressing oh, it. I'm trying to sound professional. <laughs> no, I can hear. I can hear. I've got very attuned to listening to breath. And so now if I can hear you breathing heavily, I know it's like he's trying to suppress a laugh because I, <laughs> I have to edit out my own breath um, now because when, lis- when I'm recording at home, uh, I've done in the last month two audiobooks at home for the first time since, well, for the first time because before that I would go into a studio, but it's in, I'm in Crystal Palace and the studio that I regularly work at is in King's Cross. So at the start of lockdown, we would get taxis and they just thought it, it may be simpler to do it here. I digress. But you have to edit yourself you know, like you'll be editing this podcast later, you have to listen for your own bizarre clicks and gurgles and whatever else it is. So I'm like, I'm, I don't know, hawks are not renowned for their their ears, but I've got the ears of a hawk. That's kind of like a weird, like, uh, situation I find myself in. Ears of a bat, maybe. Thank you. There we go. Although bats these days in the time of coronavirus are persona non grata, I find a little that, bit. That, that is very true. But, um, yeah, so, so, um, sorry, uh, the, uh, what's the week like? Um, so, yeah, it's just a question of trying to deal with any auditions that come, for, come through, sending them back in as good a quality as you can. And then if you're fortunate enough to get a job, just to, just to record it and be as authentic and, and, uh, as possible. I mean, I, I, fortunately, I absolutely love it. So I was, <laughs> I was having a conversation with my housemate just now. It's been an exhausting week. I've, I've had to deliver an audiobook, and, an audiobook in three days, and I've got to do pickups after this interview, in fact. And I was talking to him about a procedural thing and he was like no no you want to do it the long way but the hard way because you know it'll be a better product at the end of it i'm like "Mm, i know so there's this whole psychological war game with yourself about how to how to just re you you have to be the you know the project manager the editor the the discipline the disciplinarian the motivator it's it's a very strange life especially when you don't see anyone uh for days at a time when you're recording it and in terms of the work you've done overall as an actor, I mean, you've done films, you've done stuff for video games, I think. Yes. Uh, uh, have you done stage work? I have, yeah. I um, I sort of, I, I did so much stage work at the start, and I think I sort of, I nearly fell out of love with it because it's very poorly paid, especially at the start of a jobbing actor's career, unless you're very fortunate. And even then, I mean, at the National, it's £500 a week, uh, and that's the them in national i mean you know even um oh god i've forgotten her name she was you know auntie what's it in peaky blinders that's not a very helpful description but i heard that she was on um damien lewis's partner what the hell's her name oh yeah i know exactly who you mean i can't yeah. remember her name either she's aunt paul you know in peaky blinders yeah that's yeah, yeah um so uh but i heard that she was on, she played me there uh anyway uh sorry i'm just talking absolute shite i do apologize <laughs> um uh but yeah th- stage work I did my last play four years ago, and it shocks me to to think that that was how long it was. 
but I just kind of felt it wasn't rewarding me for my for my time. Yeah. And I mean, I don't. It, that's not a question of being mercenary about it, but it's a question of just looking at this overall as a business and and just knowing that you you might love something, but if it doesn't love you, if it doesn't love you back, then it's kind of you're on a bit of a hide into nothing because eventually it starts to grind you down and you feel like you're sort of being taken advantage of. Like I, I used to love love doing doing it for the first few years I would do tours we'd do like runs of theater and you wouldn't get paid they'd say profit share which is the great big euphemism for uh yeah if you're if you're bloody lucky mate and so then then suddenly um well just to explain just to explain for those people who don't know uh, a lot of acting jobs for uh, that you can get into perhaps more easily would be share of profit but the problem Mm. with that is it assumes that the profit will be made which it may not be um Uh, so, so you could end up with not a huge amount of money at the end of the tour or whatever it is. And it's, I think sometimes it's great to do those things because they, there are, I've had, had some incredible experiences doing that and I, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I think I, I, I was doing it for about five years and I'd, you know, you barely make minimum wage sometimes. And I was thinking, okay, well, I need to at least supplement that with something. And then I'd always wanted to do film. And, you know, I've done, I've done a few feature films now and, and lots of short films. And, um, I just found myself really enjoying the fact that you had something at the end of it that you could kind of, you could go, oh gosh, I that, oh I didn't realise that was how that was made or what we did there, um, and I think that the passing nature of theatre was 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 something that I really liked to start with, and I've I found myself less charmed with as I've gone on, um, and also voiceover is quite um, it, it rewards you for your for your time uh, and like you know everything's it's. Uh, it's not cheap to live in to live in London, so you do want to sort of make things make things work for you, um, and it's just lovely to be able to do it in a way that that I used to do just for fun anyway. Also, I happen to know that you've been in a film since lockdown started, right? Yeah, I actually the like the it seems like the three weeks or the two weeks that we were actually allowed out, I did two films, and it was absolute coincidence that they happened on a Thursday and Friday, and then a Saturday and Sunday, right after one after the other, exact same week. And that's the, my two film. No, actually, I did one film in January as well. I was very lucky. Um, but just before, when we thought Australian bushfires was going to be the worst thing of 2020. <laughs> uh, um, all the days. But then, yeah, no, I did two. I did a feature film called uh, Giddy Stratospheres, which is, uh, which is um, a, a sort of dark comedy biopic uh, or set, uh, sort of inspired by a biopic of the indie music scene in the early 2000s. Uh, directed by Laura Jean Marsh, who's a friend of mine, and starring like uh, Nick Helm and uh, Richard Herring, which was loads of fun. And I got to play Cousin George, I think, which is, I think it was a sort of heavy hint, because uh, Laura and I have known, known each other for a while. What, sorry, what, Ollie, what's the position on swearing in this podcast? You can swear as much as you fucking like. Great. Well, the note I was given for Cousin George was pony fucking Tory. So... Um, <laughs> So that's why I just wanted to caveat it. I didn't know if it was like, is this an academic podcast or can I say plenty fucking Tory? Um, so there's a lot of sort of like, you know, in-breath, kind of Hugh Laurie and Blackadder sort of thing. Um, and then the other one, I think I was, it was called, um, God, uh, The Everlasting Club. That was it. And it was, uh, I was playing a um, an immortal vampire ghost, I think. And so it was a nice change. It was like in, in a week that was, that was, I mean, I was just like, give me, give me that every week and I would be happy. But I mean, like to this week, I've been, um, I think trying to run through all the characters I've done, I've played, uh, you know, the gruff London detective who's trying to get his whole uh, thing sorted out. 
here's an American kind of like um, psychiatrist who's the sort of femme fatale of the whole thing. Uh, then there's, you know, there's a lot of officials and stuff. There's the tech woman who, who sounds a lot like this. She's very much down here. There's this old fisherman who I actually use for a, a role play thing the next day. Uh, so it's just, it's, yeah, as you say, as much as I am in a windowless room, and I can tell you after three days in here, you do need to air it out a little bit, but <laughs> it really does sometimes feel like living the dream. Um, it's hard work, but it's, it, it's, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Just out of curiosity, so when you're doing uh, an audiobook, uh, do you kind of colour in the different characters, different colours, so you can sort of sort the voices out in your head? 100%, yeah. Um, that's been my, my way of doing it, just because it's a really useful skill to master, and this is, this is true for any kind of acting, I think, but particularly for audiobook work, is sight reading. Because I, the, 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 the time pressure of audiobooks is astonishing. That's something I didn't know before I started in this side of the industry. Um, so like, as I say, three days was, was a real, real push. And I've, I've still got to do the, the pickups, as I say, um, and pickups just for those who are, might not be aware is, um, when, you know, I might've fluffed a line and not noticed it, or my stomach might've gone yeah, yeah, in the middle of a line, <laughs> which is a genuine problem. It's, it, it's, I mean, it, it, you're literally sort of playing this bizarre game of, um, I don't know what, like whack-a-mole, where you're like, oh gosh, my throat's really dried out. I better take a sip of water. You take a sip of water and you go, chapter 39. And as soon as you say 39, the sound of the water hitting your stomach goes, and you're like, right, okay, I'll have to start again. Um, To be honest, it's just you differentiate it in as different colors as you can. But I mean, for instance, this this time, it was this is uh, the third in a series of detective novels that I've uh, recorded. Uh, the Lockhart and Green series, which is um, a little plug, is Knock Knock, and then the next one is Who's Next. This one is Lost Souls, so you can find those on Audible. But So you have to, A, remember what the hell the voices were for the character when you did it in January or and June. That was when I did the last two. And in this case, you have to... I think that, actually this might have been common in the other two. You have to make sure the suspects don't sound too different um, because you, they often the suspects have an inner monologue. They also talk to their their potential victims, and then they're interviewed by um, they're interviewed by. Uh, sorry, I just heard your stomach gurgle. Unless there's a, it, like a, no there's that a pan, there's a panther on the on th- the line. That absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go, there you go, kids. That's exactly what we're looking for. Now, now what I've done is made sure that Ollie can't edit that out. So. <laughs> But there you go. It's a good, like, like this is genuinely, though, I've, I've developed a new technique in this one. I say I've developed. I'm sure someone else has. I do the fake meal, which is basically, and it's so bizarre. You, when I think about, oh, do I need to get, do, do I need to make lunch or, or supper soon? Uh, if I start thinking about that, my stomach is like kind of a dog going for a walk. It goes, oh, food, oh, food. And, and so I'm like, oh, no, God, because then it starts gurgling um, as that I presume because, you know, your brain starts kicking in and you produce stomach acid to digest something. Yeah, you so don't I, just produce that, you produce insulin as well as soon as you start thinking about eating. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. There you go. This is an exchange, really. I'm <laughs> um, but so what I do is I just get a tiny, like, little tiny snack and then my stomach, it takes about an hour and a half for it to realise, hang on, that wasn't enough because then it just placates it. So there's a tip if you're trying to record when you're really hungry. Just have a little something if you don't want to stop and you just want to power through. Um, but colour coding it, having to make all the suspects sound the same basically means that if you listen to these audiobooks, the only characters that don't really have like a, you know, voice up here or you're down there, all the potential murderers sound like me. 
because I have to keep them more or less similar. <laughs> so I'm just like, just like, eventually, if this if these books if these books start to become successful, I'm basically talking myself out of any nice roles because everyone will be like, oh, that voice makes me unsettled. <laughs> I think that's some sort of murderer, isn't it? <laughs> Occupational hazard. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so the next question is, um, how did you get from graduating to where you are now? Um, uh, wanting to and putting in loads of bloody hard work and failing loads and loads of times. Um, and just just following whatever lead I thought might go somewhere. And then once you got to the end of that logical, you know, that, 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 that idea, seeing if it worked, if it didn't, take what you've learned from that experience and then put it into the next one. What I mean by that is I knew that I knew something about the, the you know, the, the process of being an actor that, you know, an actor probably needs an agent and needs to be doing stuff. And that's the best thing I can say is just do stuff, do stuff outside of the curriculum as well as in it. Don't be limited uh, to the course that you're doing. When I was there, I, I was uh, in the drama society. Is T24 still going? On? It most certainly is. Yes, 10 years ago, my God, 10 years ago. <laughs> um, and um, so I did, you know, I did, I did tons of plays as well as stand up in, um, in Monkey Shine before I was on the course, um, actually doing it as part of the degree. Um, just do loads of stuff. Doesn't matter if it's exactly what you want to do or not. It's just all the experiences you gather from that. You've no idea what leads you do. For case in point, um, I mentioned Laura, Laura Jean Marsh, who um, directed and wrote Giddy Stratospheres. I met her doing a film exercise at Ealing Studios at the, at the Met Film School. We'd never met before. We just did a we did a scene from Indiana Jones for some students. Got chatting, connected on social media, and then two years later two years later something like that she asked me she got me into this film she was in this this uh, war film called the point of no return uh, eastern front point of no return um and uh we did that last summer and then she wrote this this film which is about her life as a as a musician in the screaming ballerinas and then i was in in that and it was that wasn't because i had an agent it was just because she she knew me as a colleague she knew that i worked hard and that i liked the job and that hopefully I was all right, pretty good. Um, and so she, she, we had that, we have that working relationship. And so people think there is one thing they have to do, like get into drama school or get an agent or, you know, be on TV. Um, you can do all or any of those things and still fail. The thing I would say is just get out there, get your feet wet, get into the mud, uh, get stuck in and work really hard. Um, I think that this is a lot of platitudes, I suppose, but... I, I just talk to people. I'd find out who had, if someone had an agent, I'd say, do you mind if I write to them and mention you? And I said, sure. That Follow that logical step. You write to them, they either get back to you or they don't. And then that was how I got my first agent. I did loads of extras work and then I met loads of people doing that. Then I stopped doing that because I was like, oh, I don't want to be known as an extra. But it's one, you know, you make one step after another sort of progression. And that was, that was kind of how it worked for, it's probably how it's still working, to be honest. It's just more stuff. So, so actually, if, if I was to pick up on what you've just said, I think there are two really important things now, three possibly. One is uh, work hard, do a lot. Another is to not be disheartened if things don't go your way. Oh, and absolutely. The, and the third thing is networking and building up your uh, sort of circle of people that you can sort of contact and, and, and learn from, I suppose. Absolutely. But at that moment when you... What I'm curious about is you didn't go to drama school after you graduated. No, I didn't. I just, I was so eager to get out there. I was really, really keen. I think 
I, I didn't have like a lot of um, parental advice uh, for, for various reasons um, when I was sort of coming out of that. I just had, I had a lot of support, but like not sort of a, as a strategic plan and a view of the career. So I was, I was kind of impatient by then. I was like, right, I want to do things. I want to actually work. I felt, I didn't, I think you have to trust, you have to hone your instinct is another thing actually that's really important. And it sounds quite, you know, that's, that's quite sort of like vague, but you will learn to trust it because you get a sick, a sixth sense, a sixth sense, a sixth sense uh, to learn how to speak, <laughs> a sixth sense um, for what might work and what might not. Picking up on something as well, People often find the term networking, people say networking is what's really important. I always find networking as a term feels a little bit mercenary, like, oh, hello, what can you do for me? Mm, yeah, oh, nothing, okay, bye. Um, whereas I think talking to people, and it is networking, but in, in terms of just don't expect something from conversations, just be be yourself. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not talking like, hey, what I feel like doing tonight at this, you know, screening is getting blind drunk. That might be yourself, but, you know, trust your instinct and whether that's a good idea but what i found is it's not the people you go to these events to network with that actually help you in the end if you go to something about a casting director or, or a q a with an agent it's actually the people you're sitting there with who you know who refer you i mean i've got work that's now you know paid loads and loads and loads of stuff over the years from someone i've just done one random audition with and just gone and it's easier than ever now to connect on instagram or um on any social media and just keep in touch and people want to help each other everyone knows that it's hard and that you know we're all down in the trenches as it were and like it i think that the the perception is that when you say networking it's like everyone's trying to tread on each other's head to climb higher but when you just get to know people and i suppose it's networking with a small end i suppose you just build a support network not so much just a you know a mercenary get me stuff kind of thing yeah, I think I think the thing is that people do. I, I, I mean, I, it's something I felt embarrassed about for years was kind of keeping in touch with people, mm -hmm. um, th thinking that they might think that I was sort of doing it for some sort of personal advantage or something. Yeah. But it's actually much more of an organic thing to do with. Mm -hmm. Really, I mean, everybody has a network, right? I mean, no, no matter what profession you're in, you know people, you know friends and family, and that's your exactly. network. So, so I'm, I'm still curious about this moment where you graduate. So, how did you get your first acting job after you graduated? The hell's my first acting job? Gosh, now I remember. <laughs> I remember what my first acting job was. I think it was my or my first feature film, at least. So, I think did I have acting jobs? It depends. Like, I did a lot of work. Whether it was a job in in the sense of did I get paid? I can't quite remember. Um, uh, there, there is also something I say all this stuff like get out there, get your feet wet. There is a there is an element of caution. Be careful because there's a like you know there's a lot out there. Pay attention to what you're getting involved in. Look at the way a job advert or a, a, a volunteer opportunity uh, is written, because it's amazing how that is a really good way of going. Hmm, I think this person who's you come with me. It'd be very nice. You come to a state in middle of uh, nowhere and then uh, we do the film thing. And it's like and then they were never seen again. Like. So the reason I mention this is because the way I, I think I got this first job, I think I took a picture of my first hundred pounds I'd earned as an actor in my first year. It was on some this ah sod it this god awful website called Star Now, uh, which is just a, a raft of shit a lot of the time. If you'll pardon my French, it is there is so much rubbish on there, um, 
that you really you, you can spend a huge amount of time and waste a huge amount of time but it's only through spending that time that you start to develop your filters you start to work out what you can what you would do what you wouldn't do and just occasionally on there there are just people thinking you know what i've got a little bit of money i want to make a movie how do you do it google oh star now and you can get some stuff on this particular occasion i was in a uh, i uh, applied to play i think the character i don't think he had a name he was a uh, boyfriend and he was the boyfriend of the main character's best friend, if you're with me. And this was in a, oh, what the hell was it called? Not a Bollywood film, but a Dollywood film, which I think is the Sri Lankan version of Bollywood. They were filming in London, in Canary Wharf. And I had four lines. Two of them were the same. What The first one was uh, where the, the main character and her best friend were sitting down. And I would come over to my girlfriend and say, you're right, babe. Because that's, that's my normal voice really this is all just very articulate uh subterfuge but i'd say you're all right babe uh do you want something to eat and she'd say something i don't remember her lines just read my own because that was the kind of egotist i was uh and then i'd go away for a bit they'd have a chat i'd come back and go you're all right babe and i'd done that really well because i did it the first time so i'd practice and then i'd say do you want something to drink and that was it that was my first acting job and i don't think it's ever i've never seen it i never saw what happened it was an incredibly badly run film set but I was so excited because I had a check for £100, a check that cleared, I would like to add. And uh, and from there, it was just, OK, while that wasn't a career-defining moment, it was a film. People had put some effort, some love into it. I, I had lines. They, were, <laughs> they weren't Shakespeare, but they were, you know, and, and it kind of grew from there. And it's just a quick... And I mean, in the meantime, you can work, you, you know, uh, you have to sort of earn a living. But I did extra work. Uh, extras work I should say or other supporting artists um, and I started that when I was at Kent actually there was the other Berlin girl uh, film came to to Dover and so hundreds of us uh, from from UKC went over and we were all uh, there freezing our shins off because we had to wear Tudor tights in um, Dover Castle watching Natalie Portman repeatedly get her head cut off which was um, quite something I when I heard when the, it was so cold and when I heard Natalie Portman go fuck when the wind whistled around Dover Castle in December, I was like, this is a very special moment. So I supported myself with extra work for, for a couple of years and then just just started building that network and just kind of doing a few jobs. I did a few theatre tours. I did a shed load of short films, most of which were awful. But again, you start to notice patterns. You start to notice good scripts versus bad scripts. And yeah, and, and you talk to people. And, you know, there are, there are, there are two types of people, I think. And I've... I've and, and it's a slippery slope to become one or the other, or to become the negative side of this. Because when you get jaded, and I was, I was listening to myself earlier, I'm like, oh, I hope I don't sound too, too jaded about things, because it's so much fun, even though it can be hard work. There's two types of people in this industry, and one of them says, oh, you know, it's really hard. It's, it's really difficult. Yeah, I mean, you, you really, I mean, God, if you can do anything else, uh, uh, do, do it. Which, that part is true. But it's like, if you really if you really think you're going to do it, then I'll tell you. I mean, you don't know this thing that you want to know, but I do, and I'll tell you. And these people have got to the top of their own particular dung heap, in my opinion, and they've decided, right, this is where I can look down on people. And then there's another type of person, and they ask you questions, and they listen. And then when you ask them questions, they tell you things honestly. And those are the type of people that you really want to you know stay in touch with and because what because they're just trying to do the same thing as you they might be a few steps along the road uh, from where you are you know a few years ahead uh, in terms of experience 
but they might recognize the, the struggle that you're going through. They, they may just say exactly what they think. And, uh, and usually that's quite useful information because it's just, there is no answer. The business has changed since I started doing it. There's, there's much more social media, uh, which can, which I've got work through. There's mu many more websites, but with that, there is maybe a spreading out of the lack of quality and you know, a huge, more competition. Yeah, I think it's, it's tricky, but just develop those filters. Just get your instinct going. And do you, do you think, oh, is this a person I want to be around? Or is this a person who makes me feel like this is possible? Because it is possible. It absolutely is. But it's the best job in the world. And so there's a lot of competition. So you've be you better put in the work, I think. All right. So my next question, that's fantastic, by the way. Uh, all of that's really useful stuff. My next question, the penultimate question, George, is ah. how did studying drama at Kent help you to get where you are now? In other words, what did you learn in the degree that that you kind of draw on in some way i mean without blowing smoke up your ass early uh so much i mean like it, it it's it really it, it wasn't the only thing by any stretch of the imagination because you really just you just have to live a bit and and you know as i say fall down make some mistakes and at university it's a great place to do that because you know it, it's time to develop who you are as an adult as a professional as a you know as a creative um i think in terms of kent there's such there's such a raft of possibilities. I mean, I, I did all sorts of things. I did, you know, I did stand up with you, obviously, um, which which I'd, I hadn't really I'd always loved stand up. I'd always been obsessed with um, Billy Connolly and Richard Pryor and Dylan Moran and all sorts. But I'd always just sort of laughed and, and then recited the stories and stuff. Um, I hadn't really thought about doing it. And then there came an option to do it. And I thought stand up is the only thing that really still scares me. And so I went for it. I mean, I, I remember having this conversation with you. I, I went for it, and um, and honestly, there is, there is, you know, it, it was it was fantastic doing stand up, even if you don't want to, is a. And I promise, Ollie hasn't paid me to say all this. Um, doing stand up is one of the best best pieces of training you can get as an actor, uh, or to be honest, a creative of any kind, because after you have had to talk down a drunken professor who's just been fired from the university and is heckling you at the Gulbenkian as you're trying to introduce your fellow um, stand-up students, nothing, nothing will phase you after that. Nothing will phase you when you have to think on your feet. After you've died on stage uh, in a stand-up club in, in London, after thinking you were brilliant from doing it in Kent for six months, um, nothing will bother you and your confidence will go way up. You also um, did loads of voice work in, when you were doing stand-up. You were really good at it. Thank you. I mean, it was. I've always loved doing accents and, and voices. I mean, my favourite. I think we we talked about this. Am I allowed to mention your your rebel your rebellious uh, uh, travels up to uh, to join join me on the protests? I've even oh yeah. Mentioned it. I've mentioned it now. So there we go. But, yeah. Um, so um, to all of you looking at Ollie and going, huh, he's such an establishment figure. I I say, oh no, my friends, oh no. Ollie and I have marched against i mean any uh, find anything to march against really i mean we 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 went we went up against trump when there was a massive protest against him coming to london with the big baby balloon we marched against brexit together i think and yeah we did a lot of others a lot of kent students um and uh, so yeah ollie's ollie's yeah, ollie's ollie's the shit man you gotta you gotta pay attention to him um and uh, so much so that i have forgotten what the question was again <laughs> no are you gonna one. i know exactly what you're gonna say uh, we were on a protest and there was a situation where somebody couldn't get past a group of people and needed to get past so you brought out your angry <laughs> scotsman voice pretended to be her relative and, and persuaded your way through 
Well, you see, the thing is that the uh, the English are scared of the Scots, so you don't have to be particularly threatening as a Scotsman. You just have to approach from behind someone and say, excuse me, pal. And they suddenly go, because oh, oh, you don't know whether a Scot's going to go, oh, excuse me, could you mind moving out the way? This, this uh, young lady's trying to get through. Uh, or if you go, you're right, pal, could you get out of the way? Otherwise, I'll slash you from your asshole to your earlobes. So uh, you never really know. But yeah, the um, I actually didn't re- realise that you'd given it a name until, uh, oh, no, maybe, I, I can't remember, but... The Emergency Scot, which oh, you... is basically on ticket uh, ticket barriers and like, you know, at any point of distress in the London Underground. Do you remember the London Underground? I haven't been there for years. Um, but um, you just you just don a Scottish accent and it's instantly much easier to get around because everyone just gets out of your way. But um, yeah, it's, it's useful in any situation. The little, the little thing that I was going to add to that is that in terms of a professional thing, it's not necessarily about doing lots of voices, but for me, accents and character voices have been my unique selling point, my USP. And I, anyone listening to this and thinking, okay, how do I, you know, do how do I do something creative, whether it's acting or, or whatever else? And I would say, start off by finding your USPs, and there's going to be lots of them, and they're going to be things that you don't even think of as useful. So, for instance, um, I have students when I teach voiceover at, at Ealing Studios, which is, you know, again, this is something just going back to an earlier point about just build your network. I've been doing work at the film school there, meeting Laura, Jean Marsh, and other things. And it was only because, like you, they'd heard, oh, you do voices for games and stuff. And I, and I said, yeah. And they said, well, why don't you come and talk to my students? And I was like, sure. Now, I thought talk to their students meant a Q&A like this. And then a week before, this guy said to me, how's your lesson plan coming? I was like, duh, um, A lesson plan, a lesson plan. But I just thought, all right, just go, you know, give it a go. And then they basically hired me as a part-time tutor just basically saying what I've been saying on this podcast, so don't tell them, otherwise they can get it for free. Um, but USPs might be the fact that, you know, you might think that something that's detrimental to your creative work, like, for instance, um, if, you're, you know, if you're from a country where English isn't your first language, and you think, oh, God, I, I really want to work in, in Britain as an actor, but I've got a really strong Argentinian accent or whatever it is, or that could be your greatest asset the fact that you you know you speak another language there's so much dubbing work that needs to be done um that they you know all right you might not be the only argentinian in in uh, britain who could do it but you might be there at the right time so cultivate whatever it is you maybe you you know maybe i don't know maybe you're an amazing skipping rope uh, uh artist or whatever if there is an artist for that but it could be anything for me i always used to mess around doing voices and suddenly that became useful you never know what's useful until you suddenly put it in front of the right person. They go, holy shit, you can do that with a skipping rope? You're like, yeah. So just look at what you already have before you start going, oh, I want to be like them. Because it, you know, it's, there's loads. I mean, like, everyone thinks now of the, the great sort of narrators, you know, that would be like Morgan Freeman. But Morgan Freeman only became so synonymous as a voiceover artist because of things like the Shawshank Redemption. And now we go, oh, well, that's the atypical narrator voice of it's like no of course it wasn't he was african-american he had he was he's had a, he had his accent before that was totally different but he just he now is you know everyone's doing impressions of him you know more more than freeman you know they're still there on the car insurance or whatever it is but um i have one more question ah yes and this is the uh the question that sort of leads us back to the title of the podcast the, the question is what would you say to people who say that a drama degree won't lead to a proper job <laughs> I, I would say look at the pandemic I would say all those people who had proper jobs you know it, it, it's it's a job They're, these are jobs I think the snobbery about proper jobs 
is so, it's so last century, guys. It really is. Because you need to be adaptable as an actor and a performer. But now, you know, I mean, not even since the pandemic, since the financial crisis, since I came out blinking in 2010, after the whole financial world went to shit a year earlier, a year or two earlier, you need to develop your skills of adaptability and there is nowhere better to do that than on a drama course because like I said some of the things I did earlier I did stand-up but I also did uh, American drama studying um, Eugene O'Neill and Arthur Miller and stuff or I did uh, Ben Johnson one of Shakespeare and Marlowe's contemporaries and so you build this huge patchwork of stuff that you know about that you can bring up at any time uh, it also use your brain like speaking skills you know um, I, I can't remember what the statistic is but like half like huge amounts of people are terrified their number one fear is public speaking and it's so vitally important not just for your work life but for your personal life and yet they're terrified of it even people who run entire companies they're like oh I can't do it drama degree it's simple and also I think I'd probably just not have an original thought and just quote Jim Carrey where his dad was an incredibly funny guy could have easily done what he'd done as a comedian but he he was nervous of doing it. He decided it was more important to support his family through a stable job. So he became an accountant. And just imagine, you know, wanting to be a comedian and becoming an accountant. It's I mean, it's close in the alphabet, but that's about the only similarity. Uh, and then he was fired 20 years after going into it. And what Jim Carrey said was, you can fail at something you don't want to do. So why not take a chance with something that you do? And I mean, yeah, and, and as I say, I personally find this job the best in the world and I'm prepared to put in the work to do it. I think you've got to be the SAS or the Royal Marines of whatever you choose to do in the creative industries because there's a lot of other competition. But if you do put in that work, and that's a discipline that's taught at Kent, I think, that like you know, not not like sort of regimented, but in the sense of like, you know, bring bring something to the table or don't. Fine, you can coast through a degree, but you see the results if you really put your passion into it. And yeah, quite honestly, and I mean, this is, this is you know, not entirely, not entirely due to Ollie, I'm sorry to say, but a little bit. Uh, Kent changed my life completely. I, I discovered who I was at Kent and uh, allowed myself, uh, and it allowed me to just let that person grow and develop rather than just be leveled out like school does. You know, you're sort of beaten into a, into a box in, in school. I mean, metaphorically, not literally. It wasn't quite that bad. But like you're relegated to be that type of person or this. You really get to explore in a drama degree and find what your what your niche is and you might not do drama as you go forward that's fine but it's it's useful i can't think really of a job where it isn't useful thanks so much to george for that i thought he was brilliant actually a few things to pick up on there uh first of all uh neither of us could remember the name of the actor who played aunt polly in peaky blinders and it was of course helen mccrory Secondly, I really like the phrase ears of a hawk. That is something that's going to stick with me. And finally, just a a small apology about the sound quality, because I recognise there's quite a lot of fluctuations between the loudest and the quietest uh, sounds. I I got rid of as much of that as I could in the edit, but I, I couldn't iron it all out. Also, you can hear some things, as George mentioned, you can hear my stomach gurgle. I I also heard, more pleasantly, seagulls. And finally, because we were recording this online, there are bits where you get weird glitches, and some of the timing of those is peculiar. So, for example, George used the phrase, talking of his own voice, that voice makes me unsettled, right? 
And at the very moment he was saying that, we had one of those electro glitches. So what he actually said was, that voice makes me unsettled. Yeah, it made me unsettled. It was weird. Anyway, yeah, that's all for now. Um, and I will see you next time for the next episode of Proper Job Gradcast. Got to, got to get a proper job.